are some things that I have pause and I think like, I don't know what my kids' experience is gonna be like in 20 years in life, but it's gonna be wildly different than what we know today. What's up? I'm Tyler Sweat. Cue the dramatic music. This is All Quiet on the Second Front, a podcast where boring conversations around defense tech and national security come to die. Ready to get weird and learn some cool shit about emerging tech and the government? I thought so. Let's fucking go. This is a Soul Fire production. Hey everyone, Chrissy McGarry here, COO of Second Front Systems. Excited to share with all of you that you are now able to sign up for our annual Offset Symposium. Imagine attending the number one national security symposium located at the Ronald Reagan Building in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May 16th, 2023. During the symposium, you'll be able to hear from some of the leading experts in the defense tech space and VC communities. Individuals like Nund, the CTO of the CIA, and General Raymond, formerly of the Space Force, will be there participating in fireside chats and conversations. Don't worry, you can locate our full agenda at secondfront.com backslash offset dash symposium. Make sure you sign up today. Space is limited. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of All Quiet on the Second Front, the podcast where boring government conversations go to die. Uh, really excited today to be joined by a, a good buddy and uh, someone's going to have a ton of really interesting insight, uh, Ben Van Roos. Thanks for joining us, Ben. Thanks for having me. Um, like many of you probably know Ben because he wrote a post that went wild that we're not going to talk about. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you got you to at least acknowledge sure, that it exists. Sure. sure. Um, this, is, this is not a podcast about <laughs> SBIRs. Thank you. And that. <laughs> I, uh, I met Ben... God, oh, forever ago now. Yeah. Um, back in the day when you were at Primer AI. Yep. Um, and what I'd, what I'd like to do is sort of talk a little bit, sort of share some of your background, some of the journey you've come on mm-hmm. um, from where you were to Primer, what you learned there, and sort of where you are now. Cool. Just Let's get after take it. Take it away. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I am not uh, formally in the DOD. I've not... Uh, been in service uh, at all. My, my family is, uh, my dad was Air Force. He flew F-89s, 102s, and A-10s. Uh, my brother flew F-16s, is now a wing commander uh, for F-35 unit out of Madison, Wisconsin. So it, it's been a big part of my life, something I've been around a lot. Um, in grad school, I started working with the RAND Corporation and Project Air Force um, on some interesting things and then decided to take a cool job kind of bouncing around the country and a little bit around the world for the Rand Corporation for a few years. Uh, didn't want to stay at a nonprofit for my entire life. So in a 2010, I came back to the private sector, moved to San Francisco, and that's kind of been the, the launching point of my of my tech journey. Um, I Notably in 2012, I went to a company called Chegg, which is a ed tech company that we took public. I ran a bunch of their data teams, analyst teams, um, built out that and, and learned what it was like to take a company public and go through rig- rigmaroles of quarterly earnings and and, and all that. Um, and then in, in, in 2017, I wanted to change a pace. Uh, I, I was very interested in where natural language processing was going. And uh, I, I met uh, Primer, the Primer team, and uh, decided to help build out that entire organization. It was a founder, Sean Gurley, and about 10 people. And... Um, wanted to help build that go-to-market arm. And so uh, 
So that was a pretty interesting experience in 2017 through about mid-2020, helped grow that uh, go-to-market team. We met somewhere along that journey. I was spending about every other week in Washington, D.C., uh, and you know, my, my wife at the time, maybe we didn't have children, so it didn't, it didn't really matter too much for me to travel. And, uh, you learned a lot, you know, you get a lot of, a lot of lessons learned, a lot of bruises, especially during that phase of dual use technologies, uh, working with the DOD, um, yeah. 2017. That was before dual use was a cool term. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, there was like, <laughs> I, I think where we are now versus where we were then, um, it's a very v- different time. Yeah. Um, Venture is more interested in dual use and or defense tech. Uh, the entire Silicon Valley is much more interested in engaging with the defense world. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty optimistic about the future. But, you know, at that time, it was, there was really, there were some unique innovation programs. There were things like Project Maven, things yeah. like ABMS for their for the goods and the bads. Um, but there was, it was a, also an environment where people didn't necessarily love um, the Pentagon. Yeah. And didn't necessarily, you know, oh, you work in defense, what does that mean? And so that was weird. Um, weird for my upbringing, weird, weird for my life. But, um, you know, that was the that was the big journey that I kind of started on, um, trying to figure out how do we build companies in the space. Yeah. And uh, so as you look back, sort of coming through kind of early stage, like I said, dual use before dual use was cool. Yeah. Um, what do you think you took away from that that sort of informed – this next phase of the journey that we're going to get into. Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, we, we've talked about this in the past. There's always a lot of chatter around whether dual use companies can, you can start with that plan. Yeah. Um, and I think the, the big thing where people need to kind of step back is uh, a abstract business question is, can I have a role in a regulated industry and also sell to the general commercial world. Um, this is not this is not about the DoD. I think you and I have talked about it in the past, and we agree on that. This is about um, certain degrees of expertise, whether they're go-to-market expertise or where, whether they are technical expertise. In this story, we we hear about it in our circles in the defense use cases. This is true in pharma. This is true in healthcare. This is true in banking where you really, if you are going to go into this space and you're going to try to balance one or the other, you have to have some differentiation strategy. And so, you know, what I learned at Primer was uh, what those pathways probably look like. If I were starting it, if I was going to build something out there, um, you know, Primer was not, a, in, the, in 2017, 2018, it was not just a national security company. It was not even necessarily going to be 60, 70% of national security was going to be a general purpose solution. It just so happened to find a really special niche in national security. Yeah. Um, and so so I think the um, what I learned along the way is um, what are the pathways, what are the signals, what's the noise? And, um, you know, as a founder now, trying to navigate from those lessons learned and, and not make some of the same mistakes I made uh, in previous times around. Yeah, I think it's I think one of the things that's overlooked and maybe ignored Mm-hmm. more often than not by both investors and sort of founders and their teams is or are I guess the the parallels between bringing tech into a commercial sort of regulated industry you know you brought up banking or healthcare pharma or mm-hmm. fin whatever it might be and the DoD mm-hmm. right there's a lot of hand wavy especially from sort of like the go to market side oh selling into the DoD is complicated it's sure. got 
different procurement. And I always try to ask him, hey, cool, like, have you ever tried to like sell into JP Morgan? Very like, hard. Yeah. Very <laughs> or, hard. Like back to yeah, the pharmaceutical. Yeah. It right. sucks. Like it's a terrible process. Yeah. They have their own procurement arm. They do everything just like the government. Sure. And it takes forever. Um, I think we do a disservice to founders and to like the next generation of defense tech by not driving home the criticality of like fundamental blocking and tackling mm -hmm. from corporate growth and strategy and execution. Mm -hmm. We say, oh, it's complicated because it's the government right. and we allow for just all of this bullshit to fester. Yep. And then you end up with this like weird bloated on the surface. Like if I were to look on paper right now, mm -hmm. I'd be like, oh man, the defense tech industry is booming. Mm-hmm pop the hood on like who's got tech and who actually is on any pathway to sell and sure. I don't know, 15, 20, yeah. hundred companies. I mean, some, some small percentage yeah. of the total because we're not, we're not holding folks to fundamentals and we're not forcing good corporate behavior. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. There's a couple things. I want to rewind <laughs> yeah. a little because this is important. Um, it, that's why, when, that's why I clicked it. When I like, we're I, not getting off this rock. When I, um, when I was pretty early with a primer journey, um, an observation that I had that actually pushed us closer to national security was um, other regulated industries going to JP, going to USB, going to any major bank and trying to show the promise of our technology was cool, but bankers also are making money right now. Yep. They want technology right now. Yep. And then if you're lucky, if you can demonstrate how good it is and how differentiated it is, et cetera, then you go through all the procurement rockets. At least, and this is a good and a bad thing in national security because there can be false signals here. In some ways, they had a little bit of a longer leash because they were trying to build out of the possible, especially in 27, 18, 19, where there were only a few real AI programs writ large that um, were trying to field new capabilities. So, you know, think of new area, your drones or whatever, AI, like if you're doing something new, they're... Right now, the Department of Defense has some money, but they have, they know they want to get there. Yep. So in some ways, it actually, they, that was probably part of the reason that we had success is we didn't have to have, and you know, the company was still young. It just didn't have the level of maturity of the product suite that some of the other regulated uh, industries would have required. Yeah. And so that leads you to a good side of working with the national security is like, okay, these guys will kind of help us. They're trying to sort out where this is all going to go. And we might be able to yeah. plug in. The flip side of that is, is now you start to think, okay, I'm going to be able to land these deals and I'm like knocking a server and maybe I get on some OT and you start feeling good about it. And, and, and that's where inexperienced founders aren't going to know, okay, how do I get on, you know, this year, how do I get on to 25? Like, how do I get, how do I really like do the blocking and tackling on the hill? Yep. And, and that's, that's a different, that's where I think. In some ways, for me, it's like, well, okay, cool. You actually might be able to get some early signals from national security, but the longer term, you do have to. It helps if you're a founder that's done this a number of times. And say, okay, I know that this is cool, but it is a little sugar, or it's a necessary step for me to get to to get yeah, I mean, you're have, you to get accreditation. You have to play the hell game. Yeah, yeah, and so so that's exactly right, and so um, so th that's uh, that's one part that I think is really important. Um, let's see, what were the other parts of your question that I want to cover? Just talking about that, the basic blocking tackling, sort of the the regulatory, the hill side yeah. of it, right? I think understanding sort of procurement, and to your point about sort of the leash or not, yeah, right. On the regulatory side, I think this is an interesting spot to click into because mm -hmm. there's big parallels between mm -hmm. 
how I'm thinking if I was in banking or, you know, one of mm-hmm. my previous companies, we were doing an insurance play. And yeah. we had a bunch of conversations with regulators around what the emerging regulatory landscape, yeah. ironically, around AI was yeah. going to look like. Yeah. It is, well, it's okay. So the way I, I've kind of thought about um, when I started Yurts, I was working on another um, startup in idea that was around test harnesses. And I, I, a year and a half, two years ago, I was really looking at the large language model space and saying, this is totally untapped because at that time, Cohere, um, Anthropic, and even OpenAI, there was not real a lot of go-to-market motions yeah. in the way. It's, obviously, it's very, very different now. Um, but I thought that the regulatory aspects kind of break into four areas. One, um, you know, there are debates and regulations around data and copyrights. Um, in general, I kind of cut that on my mind. I think that ships kind of sailed. I feel like you can build synthetic um, sounds to sound like Miles Davis and Charlie Parker in their instruments. So, I mean, I, I kind of have a hard time in my mind saying that, yes, we're going to have tons of law regulations around what people have written that's in the public domain and try to pay people for that. So that's one thing, and I kind of just cut that out of my brain. The other aspect of AI regulation that you're starting to see is really around, like, bias. And a lot of state-level and federal laws are coming in around Hey, we got to make sure that there's not bias. We got to make sure that we're not, you know, doing the wrong thing um, and hiring people. Um, there's a law in New York that's been delayed like three times around uh, employment biases, in part because regulators tend to be really bad technologists, and so some of these laws sound interesting, but they have no teeth. And so that for me kind of pushes me I'm into flashing the back to Congress trying to understand how Facebook makes money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so then he, here's, here's the next thing. It's like, and you see it manifesting right now and saying, all right, well, hey, we need to cap. We need to stop the size of the models that we are um, building because of all the bad things they can do in the world. And there's, you know, whether it's going to be um, disinformation, whether it's going to be really inappropriate imagery being made, or, is, you know, bots taking over the world. Yep. But I mean, I would argue like at least a large number of the use cases people are scared about in the regulation space around AI, those models are sitting on hugging face right now, totally open in the domain yep. and can be used yep. to push on people. So we got to get a little bit, we got a little bit smarter, like, okay, what are we really trying to stop? Now, there are the cases, the kind of the fourth arm, which is the bots taking over the world, or at least like multi-agents doing and figuring out reasoning and then taking action on their own. That is kind of emerging, and honestly, it's a little scary. I don't know how, if anyone has a path on how we regulate this today. GPUs are going to keep getting cheaper. The open source models are really, really good. I mean, frankly, ChatGPT has very good open source competitors, plus or minus, right now that fit on smaller form factors. And so that arm, I think, is the most interesting around regulation that we do need to talk about. And, and, you know, our company is... um, we are building models in this space, and there are some things that I have pause, and I think, like, I don't know what my kids' experience is going to be like in 20 years in life, but it's going to be wildly different than what we know today. Yeah. So, yeah. So, anyway, that's that's my uh, you, that's my regulatory No, it's, it's a good segue, right? So, walk me through the, the yurts. Walk the readers or the listeners' readers. The, the, hope the, somebody's trying to read this. Yeah, there's a terrible transcript between you and I to read. Um, <laughs> the, uh, so... I'd spent a you know a number of years at Primer and and, and was looking at uh, one of the things that I observed was that we were really good at building models, but right behind us the open source community was on a tear, releasing really really interesting capabilities, and I kind of came to this conclusion that 
uh, I believe models themselves, large language models, will be commoditized. Um, and I believe that right now the world is kind of still differentiating on we want a really big model that lives on some central thing like a ChatGPT or GPT-4. Yep. And um, frankly, I've worked enough in the enterprise world to say companies aren't going to want to push all that stuff over there. And they're not necessarily going to want to send everything to OpenAI. They're not necessarily going to want to put it behind firewalls. They're not going to be able to. They're not going to be able to host ten thousand GPUs for the DoD yep. per se. And so um, we try to reimagine what the world will look like in a different space where you had high-performance, smaller models directly connected to organizational data and um, could be manifested in different forms of applications, whether the ones we build out or the ones that, um, you know, company, that plug into other companies. And so um, it's been kind of a, a contrarian view that um, feels like it's kind of coming a little bit more into to life right now. But um, this whole space, you know, me being weird and freaked out for my kids in 20 years, I cannot emphasize how fast it's moving. I am. I know everyone says that, but then the founders are like, no, 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 really. I, it's hard to speculate anyone's roadmap in two years at all. Um, you, can have, you can have some beliefs of where it might go, but um, it's which moving is crazy very, to think about. Which coming back to regulation, like, they're just, like I can't fathom what the regulations are going to have to consider in two to three years from yeah. now. So, so yeah, so it's been a, it's been a cool journey. Uh, we have a, a small team. We are a, a dual use technology. Okay. Uh, we, yeah. There Full we go. circle. Yeah. We Come are on. dual use. And, uh, you know, we've, we have some, um, we've had some good partnerships with folks in the, in the public sector, in the DOD and, uh, and also in the, in the commercial sector. So we're so far so good, but okay. yeah. All right. So what, uh, Sort of the last, the last kind of micro segment here, right? You've got this really unique sort of background of, yeah. you know, being at sort of that nonprofit and seeing the broader enterprise, mm -hmm. and then being at Primer and really sort of working through some some pretty aggressive scale, mm -hmm. and then now being sort of back to to day zero kind of founder, mm -hmm. right? You know, we've often talked. You're the same as me. I get tons of calls from early stage folks who are like, oh, I've you know, building a tech company, I'm going to come do national security. Like it's mm -hmm. fetch again. Everyone's excited. But I've also seen the challenge of that where mm -hmm. if I did not know the industry and I looked at the national security community, I'd be like, oh man, it's open for business. Yeah. But the practical reality is most of those rooms are just fucking empty short rooms. Sure. So what are you, how are you thinking about sort of the, the defense and national security side of your business? Mm -hmm. And what advice would you give to, you know, other sort of early stage founders that are out there, folks that are maybe thinking about sticking to like, what should they do first? What mm -hmm. should they sort of have before they come in? Mm -hmm. um, what's that look like? Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, it's a little bit, as I said before, you can't, you can't just break in unless you have an insane technical advantage or an insane go-to-market advantage um, into both yeah. sectors. Um, and in defense, um, it's really, really hard unless yeah. you unless you know, unless you're willing to pay, and, and you know unless you know it yeah. or you're willing to pay to get access to it, and then you still have to financially plan for the timeline around certain types of of um, contracts. Now, well, I'll plug you, you guys, and you know the the others in the space that are helping people get compliant faster from a technology standpoint. To me, that's always been a cheat code. You know, it takes so long to get your capabilities onto yep. onto a specific type of cloud, super nipper, whatever. 
um, that I think that that's important. You have to kind of figure that in your calculus and planning. In general, I mean, I understand the argument that says, you know, build up your business commercial or build your business DOD and then kind of go to the other. I'd say if you have a technology that's highly sought after by the DOD, you have a shot and you can use some of these kind of short-term empty calorie tools to try to get them. So it's like, all right, you pay some consultant to help you get a zipper, to help you get to open the door and you build a reputation. But uh, like Enrique said, I think actually some of the innovation stuff, the DOD is for the older guys. It's for the people that have done this for 30, you know, years or 20 years that are building those startups. So that hacking for defense folks, I don't know that you want to, to jump right into the DOD yeah. unless you have really deep networks or a really, really, really super awesome thing that people are going to pay for pretty quickly. Um, and that's just, that's where we are. I'm very bullish on what the next five to 10 years looks like yeah. for um, defense tech and dual use tech where um, you know, some VCs are, some VCs are not excited about it. Um, but uh, personally, I, I think um, our country is in general unified about an existential threat from the defense aspect. And I think that they were going to be more and more interested on how do we invest, how do we invest tech companies to um, make sure that we're safe and secure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I'll share your optimism. Uh, I think that unification is is a breath of fresh air. It's nice yeah. to be unified on something. Uh, <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> something fucking useful. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting when you think about, so everybody talks about the valley of death and how hard it is to break into the market. Yeah. Right? I think I've probably beat this to beat this to a corpse, but I think it's two things, right? It's understanding sort of that contracting pathway. Mm. Like you need a path to like a production grid, some scale type of buy, right? right. The enterprise contract right. of government. And you need to understand the compliance, right? Not just ATO. There's a whole litany of stuff. Right. But you've got to understand all that. Mm -hmm. um, like in the same with any other regulated industry. Just, if yep. you're starting something. 100%. If you're starting something and you're saying, hey, we're going to sell to JP a $3 million deal in the first year, mm, unless you know a couple MDs and somebody else even higher up that's going to execute against that. Yeah. It, that's just the way it goes. You can't just walk in and do it. You no, know, so you, you have to financially plan against those procurement paths. Now, this is where it's also unique, is that if you can establish relationships early on, you know, from, from my business, uh, I think we will hopefully have a few positive opportunities real soon. hey -o. But But we... Um, planning for larger deals is really more for two, you know, one, two, three years out. Yep. So, so we got to start yeah, early, be realistic, and execute. Yeah, yeah. But you've run some cycles, and I think that's the thing too. Is you know, you're not. Yeah, maybe you catch a whale on the first time you go out fishing, right? But yeah, I mean, the end of Moby Dick isn't a happy ending. He <laughs> <laughs> gets the whale. Dang it! Uh, well, you got to be, and that's just being thoughtful around it, right? Because yeah. part of it is is having sort of the corporate foundation and fundamentals to be able to do something with. A three million dollar deal when you catch it, and also the recognition that in order for you to get that, sustain it, and then scale it, mm -hmm. you're going to require a lot of the not sexy sort of blocking and tackling. Yeah. So it's it's always refreshing to have someone bring that back up because I think it's overlooked quite a bit. Well, the second front have an offering in the banking industry or farm industry. Don't tease me. One day, <laughs> one day, you can sell more. <laughs> yeah, that might be third front. But um, all right, so we wrap up the show the same way every way. Um, like I said, my handlers have beat it into me that I have to apply a modicum of structure to this show. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I always ask everybody, hey, all right, so when the work is done, 
you know, you hang up your boots, you hang up your cowboy hat. You're yeah. like, cool, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go sail off into wherever I want to end up and live out the rest of my life. Sort of, what's that look like for you? Well, I'd say first of all, I have two young children, so like they, I'll probably just by the time I'm sailing off, I, you know, I'm going to be straight to the ground. So no, there, there is no um, send yeah, them off yeah. on their Spartan summer. Yeah, you go. Um, yeah. So I think um, really excited where we are at right now. I'm excited about building this thing, which I think is pretty interesting with a, with a great team. If if I had a God, if I had a end of date, I would say I'd spend. Falls in my hometown of Wisconsin, winters in Tahoe, spring in probably in Europe, and then summer in Northern California. I just can't be that. Yeah, that doesn't That's suck. Like- <laughs> that doesn't suck one bit. That's a great answer. So uh, we're, I, we're- I, I always just say, hey, somewhere in the mountains. I, I imagine I haven't found the place yet. I imagine it's in like Western Kentucky or Western Tennessee. Yeah, sort of a mountain, rolling hill, river, small house, big yard, outdoor kitchen. Few yeah. guns. Few guns. What kind of what gun? What gun are you bringing to you with you <sighs> in the sunset? That's a good question. Um, I don't know. I got a Honey Badger 300 Blackout SBR that you know fits in a backpack, but can solves problems. Yeah. Probably that one. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. I like that. So uh, I won't be bringing any. It's a zombie hunter. You yeah. can live yeah. next to me. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Man. <laughs> well, Ben, brother, it's always great to see you. Congrats hey, on the new man. company, the success. Um, have been a longtime fan, and, and now I'm an avid sort of supporter and just cheering on the continued success of great people. So All right. thanks for taking some time to spend some time with us, brother. No, thanks a lot, Tyler. Appreciate it, buddy. All right, everybody. Cheers. Wow, look at you. You made it to the end. Thanks for listening. Hope you learned something. Don't forget to leave a passive-aggressive review. It wouldn't be a podcast without some show notes. So check them out to learn more about me, Second Front. Stay weird. <laughs>